Chris Hall here for Dogs on Demand on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Good to have you on our program today. And we are so very um, uh, happy to have with us today Josh Pate. Josh is a, a national college football analyst for 247 Sports and CBS Sports. Uh, he's the creator of The Lake Kick with Josh Pate. And boy, what a great program that is. You can find it at 247 Sports YouTube channel and various uh, podcast uh, platforms. Josh it's an honor to have you on our program today, and welcome. Yeah, it's a it's a busy time to be hosting this kind of podcast. I'm sure sure yeah. you guys haven't had a shortage of things to talk about. Uh, we we've had a lot of fun here lately at Dogs on Demand, uh, of course, with the great success that uh, the University of Georgia has uh, had over the last two years. And and so you know, just a few things I wanted to ask you about. You know, the dust is now settled on the 2022 college football season. And, uh, you know, I was I was wondering if you could just give us from your perspective, uh, uh, kind of an act, after action report on this season uh, in college football. Uh, you know, in, in your estimation, what was some of the highs, some of the lows, some of the uh, surprises, some of the disappointments of the college football season that's just passed? Well, you obviously start at the front of the line and you start it. I mean, history being made, really, with, with the program that you cover on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, you had woven within that one of the best quarterback stories that we've seen in this sport. But I think a lot of Georgia fans have heard that drum beaten to death. From the more national side of things, I thought it was really refreshing to see uh, what TCU did. I can't help but mention that with the backdrop of what Cincinnati did the year before. And the reason I mention those programs is because they disproved a lot of what the overwhelming popular sentiment had become. And that is no G5 team can ever make the playoff. No, no Cinderella, no non-elite tier one program can make the playoff. And that was never true. It, it's just that someone had to break through. Someone had to be the Roger Bannister. Someone had to run the sub four minute mile. And so they finally did it. And I also think when you elevate up to the top tier of the sport, you had programs like Tennessee get their act together. You saw Florida State late in the year, Penn State late in the year get their act together. So not only did that contribute to, you know, what I thought was a good 2022, but also those those latter programs I just mentioned, they're going to be heavily in the mix in 2023. They're a, they're a part of the puzzle now. And we've gone a little while uh, be between the last time we were able to say that about some of those teams. Yeah, and uh, it, it is good. I, you know, I enjoy seeing teams like Cincinnati and uh, TCU and the, and those guys. You know, I'm I'm kind of an underdog rooter myself, and I don't know if you could describe those teams as underdogs, but they certainly were surprises, and uh, it was good. Of course, you know, we covered Georgia, the University of Georgia, and, you know, I don't know. It, what can you say? Second straight national championship, SEC championship this year, 15-0, and 0, just a 65-7 to 7 route of TCU in the national championship game. I'm wondering from your perspective, you know, just how dominant was Georgia this year? Uh, and maybe uh, can you factor in some luck? Was Georgia lucky uh, to do what they did this year and to win it all again? Well, that whole luck thing, there's never been a championship team that wasn't. So I just take that as a prerequisite. Everyone's got to have some bounces. Everyone's got to have luck, but you know, we've seen in years past a team wins a title and they had like seven lucky breaks. Well, Georgia didn't need seven of them because they dominated to the point where they they removed luck from the equation in most of the games they played. And then in the ones where they did need it, well, they got it the same way that, you know, several other programs have gotten it in the past. The point is, 
you've got to put yourself in a position to benefit from luck. If you're down to Ohio State by four touchdowns and you get a lucky break, it doesn't matter. That just means you lose by three touchdowns. So there's there's a lot of skill in harnessing luck, I think. Now, the other side of that is I'm, I've always been a big believer. It is tough to appreciate true dominance in the moment. You need some benefit of hindsight. You need to be able to look back on it. I, I'm a believer that even, even with Alabama, I don't believe that uh, a lot of people fully appreciate what you're seeing with them, and you may not until Nick Saban's gone. Now, I know we've got a little more uh, perspective on them because he's been there for so long, but with Georgia and Kirby Smart, I just don't think I, – I think it's still too fresh. You know, I, I still think the stove the stovetop's still hot. It hadn't even cooled off yet. So even with a Georgia fan, much less the more agnostic fans who just observe the program, yeah, you know they just won back-to-back titles. It, does it really dawn on anyone that that doubles the entire history of the program? Does it really dawn on anyone that, you know, with all of the names who have come through there, you may very well be looking at the best individual resume, both as a coach and as a player with Stetson Bennett that you ever had there. I don't think that it's sunk in for a lot of people. And I'm speaking personally because I don't think that the overall uh, breadth of that statement has even set in for me. Yeah, you know, and I've seen some comparisons now with this uh, Georgia team over the last two years to the Nebraska team that won back-to-back national championships, the Alabama team, teams that won the uh, back-to-back national championships. And, I, you know, I agree with you. I, I think it's going to take a few years for all of this really to sink in. Uh, and, you know, Georgia fans have starved so long for that first natty uh, that, uh, you know, we, we got in the last season, and now you double it within the course of one season. And of course, now you turn to the next season, which is officially underway, I guess, with the national championship game in 2023. So, you know, the Georgia fans are now sitting around and saying, is it possible? Can it be? Can we really win three national championships in a row? (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, they absolutely can. Now, obviously the same conversation we just had about what it takes to get to the mountaintop one year or two years. You you sort of rinse and repeat that, and then you add in a little bit more pressure of what I've always called the consequences of success. And we spoke about it on last night's show, actually. I didn't plan to, but we just got into it about how it always looks like when you start winning, when you when you get a title, or especially if you get two titles, it always looks like things are set up to just never end. And it looks like things are set up to just roll and as much as you and I just spoke about, you know, how close that Ohio State game was and in years past with that Nebraska team or with those Alabama teams, you could go to individual games where if you change one thing in one game, they don't win those titles. People forget about that. They just remember, hey, they won back-to-back titles. They were dominant. Well, in reality, sustaining a high level of success is never easy. It doesn't matter if you recruit the best players in the world. It doesn't matter if you have the best coaches in the world. It's never easy. Because the exchange for that is when you've got all the best, that means everyone's attention is on you. You get everyone's best shot. And even if you've got the best parts week in and week out, it's hard to always get them at an A-plus effort week in and week out. So sometimes the perfect combination of of events transpires and you just lose a game as a 14-point favorite and you're not supposed to lose it. But I thought this year was a big testament. I, I thought this year, and I'm speaking about this past year, was a big testament to Kirby Smart because you're not supposed to repeat either. Forget about three-peating. You're not supposed to repeat. And you're certainly not supposed to come back after winning a title for the first time in 
a couple of generations and have your team play with the same hunger and intensity. There's supposed to be a little complacency. There's supposed to be a little letdown. So the fact that he was able to guard against that alone indicates they've got the right formula internally to gear up for potentially winning it again. They're going to be in the mix every year. It's not can they be in the mix. It's can they have that that little 3 or 4% extra that a championship team has, and that's always intangible, and you never know you have it until you're in the heat of battle. Yeah. Uh, George, it really, it really is remarkable uh, what Kirby Smart and his staff, and you can't leave out his staff. Uh, you, you know, this man is going to, you know, he has compiled a tremendous staff, and he loses guys during the, uh, you know, one from one season to the next, but he always somehow, some ways, uh, some way, you know, he can tap in and get the right guy to to replace the one who has left. What about Stetson Bennett? I, you know, there's been so much written about Stetson Bennett. I, he looks like the librarian, you know, uh, and and he doesn't have the look, you know, in a lot of ways of a successful college football quarterback. Uh, just won the 2022 uh, Manning Award as the top uh, quarterback in the nation. You know, just what is your opinion of Stetson, where he ranks in college football history? And maybe your opinion on what about the next level? You know, a lot of people are talking about, well, can Stetson Bennett, you know, be a a serviceable NFL quarterback or backup or whatever? What about Stetson? Uh, Tell us your thoughts about him. Yeah. So the first thing is I I believe the trade-off with advances in strength and conditioning has been that we've been fooled into thinking there is a look of success. And that's because most high-level athletes, especially when they're 19 or 20 or even 25 in his case, they have a look physically. And so you you fool yourself into thinking if someone doesn't look like they're carved out of stone and they're not a requisite height and weight, then they must not be an elite athlete. Well, that is very, very misleading sometimes. Now, Now, back in the 70s, some of the best quarterbacks in the game smoke cigarettes at halftime. So no one ever talked like this. Right. But now they talk like that, and they talk about the look. What, is a, what does an elite quarterback look like? Well, what he looks like is what Stetson Bennett just put on paper for the final two years of his career. That's what they look like. And also, I think a lot should be said of the fact that the guy progressed significantly as a player. Like, there's Kirby Smart's talked about it many times. He said... Hey, we tried to keep him off the field, too. We looked for every option other than him, too. Well, there's a reason for that. It's because he was not the player three or four years ago that he is right now, that he was to conclude his career. Uh, That's a hallmark of a good player, by the way. They continue to process. They continue to evolve. They continue to grow. And he did all those things, and that's a testament to him. That's a testament to the program. Now, as for the next level, the next level is its entire new set of challenges uh, because you leave the structure of Georgia. And you leave the you leave the structure of making sure every facet of the organization is operating at peak efficiency. And you go into the NFL and you could go to the he's not going to be a first round draft pick, obviously. So you could go anywhere from the best team in the league to the worst team in the league. And we've seen many an elite quarterback go to undesirable locations in the pro game and not pan out. And I'm a believer it's because of things that are out of their control. So he certainly is not a guy who would go into the NFL and succeed regardless of the external factors. He is a guy, I think, though, that if you were to plug him in the right place, could at the very least end up being a guy who stays on a roster for a long time. And in the perfect confluence of events, could be a guy who ends up 
defying all the odds and starting games in the NFL. Yeah, you know, Aaron Murray, uh, we we have some conversations with Aaron, a great Georgia quarterback, and he has drawn comparisons between Stetson Bennett and Drew Brees. He, you know, in stature-wise, uh, physicality-wise, you know, there's similar in stature and height and also in leadership quality. You think that's a fair comparison, but, you know, yeah. uh, the, between uh, Stetson and Drew? Yeah, it's probably a really good one, actually. And so if if there were, or if there are people listening to the show who are younger and you just know Drew Brees, New Orleans Saints quarterback, well, there was a time before that where he was in San Diego. Uh, by the way, the Chargers used to be in San Diego, children. And so <laughs> there was a time where – this is actually wild that you mentioned Drew Brees. I mean, you, you want to talk about dominoes that could have changed the sport. So Drew Brees is hurt. And he goes on the free agent market because he's not going to start in San Diego. Nick Saban's the Miami Dolphins head coach. Saban wants Drew Brees. The doctors down there won't sign off on it. So Saban's stuck with Dante Culpepper. He's at Alabama a year later. And there's the whole question of what would have happened if Saban got Brees. But Drew Brees, since we're talking about situation and fit, he goes to the exact right place. He goes to New Orleans. He gets Sean Payton. And he is in a perfectly conducive environment to his skill set being utilized the proper way. Now, there are some folks who watch Drew Brees in retrospect, and they say, oh, he's so great it would have worked out anywhere. I don't believe that at all. I don't believe if you put him in Chicago, it would have worked the same as him being in New Orleans. So you're, you're very much a product of your environment in the NFL more than college even. And so, yeah, I, I can easily see that comparison. I get where he's coming from on that. But the other part of that is you got to make sure he gets put in the right conditions that are conducive to him flourishing like Drew Brees did. Yeah, you know, and uh, also interesting, Aaron also said if Sean Payton goes to the NFL, to a team somewhere in the NFL, could he, I, Stetson Bennett, you know, uh, with a draft pick uh, to, to develop as a quarterback? Kind of an interesting thing to think about. Uh, Georgia already in the way too early rankings is ranked number one in the country for uh, the next season. Who do you think is the biggest threat to uh, Georgia in the SEC and nationally? It's always going to be Alabama. For the foreseeable future, it'll always be Alabama. Then you adjust on the fly as the season goes on. But um, I do think I do think what's interesting is what Tennessee's doing. Because, first off, you know every other year you got to go up there. And that used to not mean much for Georgia. They'd just go up there and dominate the same way they do at home. Now – you you watch that team start to elevate this past year, and so you know they're going to be a formidable threat for a little while. And uh, that's been the question in the SEC East for a while: is is anyone going to step up? Well, maybe Tennessee is that team, uh, but other than that, I, look Georgia. So you mentioned they're going to be ranked number one. They're in that category with Bama now, where it doesn't really matter. Odds makers almost don't even need to know who's starting at quarterback or, or you know, who's going to replace this player or that player. There's such a blind faith in the level of recruiting and talent acquisition and the level of development and the coaching staff there that they have blind trust in them. And so Vegas will have them up there. They'll be favored, obviously, every game. Uh, pollsters will have them up there. They'll be favored every game. And it's a you can call it a sign of respect. It's just it's reality you can lose a lot and yet the guys who are question marks on your roster are better than the multi-year starters on some other rosters out there. Yeah, that's true. Is, is the S in your estimation, is the sec 
as a conference that much better than other conferences around the country? You know, we have those discussions. I, you know, you look at the field, the product on the field. Do you think that's true in your heart that the SEC is that much better than the other conferences? Um, it's a year to year thing. I think some years the answer is yes. I think in a year like we just saw, I think the top of the Big Ten was pretty comparable. Uh, but once you get to the second level, I probably think the SEC distanced themselves a little bit, even even in this past year. Uh, the one thing I would suggest about this upcoming season is there's a lot of question at quarterback in the SEC. Yeah. And that's yeah. really where you start to separate yourself. And this particular year, uh, we're talking about Georgia. We're talking about Bama. So, I mean, you can t- you can start at the top and you can go and work your way down. Uh, Tennessee's the same way. You, you really don't know. There are a lot of question marks at that quarterback position. So the reason I say that is we very well may be approaching a season this year where there is a little inversion, if you will, in that conference supremacy, not long-term. SEC is going to be up there long-term for the foreseeable future, just as they have been for the past couple of decades. But that doesn't mean there may not be a season where they're down, Big Ten may be up. I do not think there is another conference out there that's particularly close at this point. So if it's any of them, it's going to be the Big Ten. Yeah, and, and of course, this uh, this coming season, you'll have the four-team college football playoff scenario. And then in 2024, we go to 12 teams, the 12-team uh, situation. Uh, what are your what are your thoughts about that? Is that good, bad, ugly? What do you think? Well, I'm in the minority on that. Um, I didn't want it, and I don't really I don't really particularly measure my enjoyment of college football by the postseason. So I'm very very old school in that sense. You know, I don't need a playoff period, not even a four teamer. I'm I'm completely fine with us playing the season and getting conference championships and then having bowl season and, and AP can choose their title whoever they want. I don't, I don't really care about that, but I know most people do. And so there'll be a lot of enjoyment out of the 12 teamer. I do think one of the, I don't want to know if I don't want to call it a benefit, but I guess you could call it a benefit. One of the benefits is a, a random team like Penn state. Penn state is a team that is locked in the same division with Michigan and Ohio state. Uh, they're not bad. They're not great. They're just a, a pretty good program right now. And in the 12 team playoff era, we will hit, we would have already seen them make the playoff multiple years. And I don't know what would happen when they got in there, uh, but I know that we would probably look at that program totally different right now. And the fact is nothing would have changed about them. We would have lowered the bar at the end of the year that let them into the postseason field. And so what's right, what's wrong, what's best for the sport? I tend to believe whatever puts a maximum emphasis on the regular season is what's best for the sport. And... Um, I've not. I've I've rarely believed that an expanded postseason format does that, but we've all been down that road, and no one's changing their mind on that now. Right, and uh, now we're going to get into college football. While we have in college basketball, we're going to have the bubble teams, the first teams in, the first teams out, and all of that excitement. And and uh, quickly, Josh, I know we have to uh, bring our program to an end, but I, I did want to get your uh, opinion. You know, here we are in the NIL and the transfer portal era. We've been in that now a couple of years or so. Just, to, you know, I, I, I love your opinions, and uh, I'm, I'm kind of old school like you are in a lot of ways. I, sitting right now, just off your cuff, what do you think about the NIL and the transfer portal? Is it good for college football, bad? Is it a, mixed, a mixture of the two? What do you think? Uh, it's been a healthy mixture. Well, maybe an unhealthy mixture of the two. I do think with NIL, 
we're headed to a place where things level off and they're going to level off pretty quickly. So I know a lot of the talk right now is about the imbalance and collectives and all that. You got the Jaden Rashada thing happening with Florida. I think five years from now, we'll probably look back and laugh at how bumpy the takeoff was for NIL. But when we get this thing to cruising altitude, I don't think you're going to hear the word collective very often. In fact, I don't think that the payment that a collective is making to a player is going to be what drives the bus at the end of the day, period. I, I think in college football, there is something that this sport has not harnessed yet, and they will very soon, and that's called group licensing yeah. and the full leveraging of intellectual property. And that IP I'm talking about is that Georgia G on the side of your helmet. That's what gives me value. If I'm a middle linebacker in Athens, Georgia, putting that G on my head, that's what builds value for me. And right now it's inverted. Right now people are suggesting those five stars that 24-7 Sports puts on your name gives you the value. And then you go to Georgia and they get to reap the rewards of your services. Well, that's a two-way street. And so in the future, I think what you'll see is the Learfield IMGs of the world understand the benefit of group licensing. And because Georgia is a Learfield IMG partner, they get to tap into the T-Mobiles and Chevys and Fords of the world. And every player on that roster is guaranteed a certain cut through group licensing because they are a University of Georgia football player. And that will be a set scale. And you'll know exactly what you're going to make ahead of time. And it's not really the school paying you. But I'll tell you why I know it's going to go this way. Because that's the formula where the school gets into the NIL revenue game as well. And the quicker the schools can make money off NIL, the more the more motivated they are to drive the bus that way. So five years, 10 years, I mean, probably five years from now. I think that's the game. And at that point, we will basically be back at the spot we already were in terms of the hierarchy. It's just the players will be making a lot more money. Hey, I like that. You know, have you got the NCAA's, uh, you know, phone number? You need to call them and tell them, let's settle this thing down, you know, with the NIL. And what about the transfer portal? Uh, you, you, you like that? Is it good? Well, what do you think? Well, I've look, my own personal preference is I don't like seeing guys transfer in conference. Now, that's a personal thing for me. Um, that it's just, uh, it's just a thing that I don't like, but it happens. I, I do think that it's tough in good conscience to tell kids, no, you can't transfer, but your buddy who's a flute player in the band can, <laughs> I, I get that argument. And so I'm not crazy about it, but I also am hopefully wise enough to understand nothing is ever going to be perfect. You know, nothing in the world's ever going to be perfect. So there are going to be things I personally don't like. I can I can not like the music you listen to and still be friends with you. I can not like certain aspects of what's legal in the sport, but still look at it, hold my nose and say, yeah, OK, whatever. Just please just keep some semblance of normalcy for me and I can have a little roughness on the edges. Yeah, but, uh, it's been our pleasure to have Josh Pate with us. Uh, National College Football Analyst, 247 Sports, CBS Sports. And check out The Late Kick with Josh Pate. It's on 247 Sports' YouTube channel. He does a great job. Josh, it's been a pleasure to have you with us on our program today. We hope to hook up with you again soon and talk some more college football, okay? Yep, I appreciate you having me. Thank you, man. Thank you.